This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Sure Payroll. If you're a small business owner, you know that payroll and payroll taxes can be a headache. Sure Payroll has simplified payroll services with just three easy steps online. To learn more, visit surepayroll.com/fool and get a free quote. It's Wednesday, January 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer. Joining me in studio, we've got Jason Moser from Million Dollar Portfolio and David Kretzman from Motley Fool Supernova. Guys, how you doing? Hey, hey Matt. We got Dow 20,000. Hey, Can you feel the excitement? Oh, man. It's palpable. Permeating everything. Okay, well, let's begin there then, Jason. Dow 20,000, what does it mean and what does it not mean? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you here, Mag. I mean, this was like the surprise birthday party where you know you jump out for the wrong person, and then like ten seconds, ten seconds later, the the right person comes walking through the door and is like, "Hey, everybody, what's going on?" And you like you totally missed it. This thing went over twenty thousand, and I mean, I totally missed it. Like I looked at the market after it opened today, and it was like, "Oh wow, I guess it is over twenty thousand now," because we've been talking about it for like two months, and I think that sort of leads me to my point in that I guess it's a nice round number, but it doesn't really mean anything in the end. I mean, this should not be the reason that you decide to start investing, and this should not be the reason that you decide to go ahead and take some money off the table. It's a great benchmark. It's nice to know the market is going up. Um, it'll go down, too. <laughs> so, I mean, I think just as, as we espouse sort of a longer-term view here, uh, it's, it's kind of just a non-event, more or less. Yeah, this... This really is uh, pretty insignificant. I mean, the only thing the Dow has going for it is really the fact that it's super old. You know, it started in 1896 as one of the first indexes, but it's a very arbitrary index, especially by today's standards. You have 30 companies, but it's not just the 30 largest companies. Like you don't have Berkshire Hathaway or Alphabet in there, which are among the top five biggest companies in the world, and it's weighted by share price, which. Uh, might have made sense or is easier to do when you're you know calculating by you know pencil and paper in the late uh, 19th century. But since it's weighted by share price, Goldman Sachs and 3M are about 14 percent of the index. And Apple, which is three times the size of those companies, is only four percent of of the index. So as far as indexes go, uh, it's it's not structured in a very uh, Sensible way. You remember when Apple came in? Um, that Which was, was just they, 2015. It wasn't very long ago, and they actually underwent a stock split just to do it. Because remember, before that, shares were 700 and some odd dollars. So if you have Apple enter that index with that type of a stock price, I mean, that is going to be. Terribly favored towards Apple, which doesn't make any sense. And, and like David was saying, I mean, you look at something like the S and P 500, which is market cap weighted. Uh, it just it accounts more for a business's overall success. Kind of that notion that we talk about. It's the same size pizza. It's just a matter of how many pieces. Um, and, and hey, I mean, let's just let's let's call it what it is here, man. I mean, they they need to be thanking Boeing today. I think right, Boeing, a component of the Dow, is up around four four and a half percent on earnings, and really that is. Uh, the big outperformer in the Dow today. It could be argued that the Dow is over twenty thousand just because of Boeing. Who knows? And guys, let's take a trip down memory lane here because I have been at the Motley Fool since nineteen ninety eight. So I actually remember <laughs> Dow ten thousand. Um, the Dow first crossed the ten thousand mark in nineteen ninety nine. Um, in two thousand nine, during the financial crisis, the Dow bottomed out at sixty five forty seven. So I think there's an important point to be made there, and that it's while the Dow and while the market as a whole goes up over time. It's not always a straight line, is it? No, it's not. I think that's a great point. That's something that, while we'll sit here and sort of look at Dow 20,000 as more or less a non-event, it's not to say that we don't care about the fact that the market is 
improving. I mean, that's sort of the reason why we're doing all this, but it is a matter of perspective. And when we teach people about investing, you have to be able to look at it from the perspective of three and five years, even 10 and 20, which is why it's so important to start young. Because when you start young like that, you don't focus so much on the daily gyrations, the the, the yearly uh, movements there. It's more about what's happening over the course of time. And when you look at something like the S&P 500 or even the Dow, 5, 10, 15, 20-year charts, the trend is, is plain to see. And fun fact here, it took two years for the Dow to go from 18,000 to 19,000. It took only 42 days for the Dow to go from 19,000 to 20,000. Yeah, I mean, markets go up over time. That's not an alternate fact, Mac. I mean, that is an actual fact. We're not making that up and we're not trying to parse the language there. It just is. It's just a matter of uh, your time frame and typically. Longer is better. I'm ready for Dow 30,000. I like it. I like it. Well, I'm not sure I'll be here for that. But (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about let's talk about one of those Dow stocks. David Cisco this week announcing that it's buying business software startup App Dynamics. This is a 3.7 billion dollar deal. Um, App Dynamics had filed to go public, so that's not going to happen now. What's your what's your headline here? Well, it's interesting here because App Dynamics was eyeing a 1.7 billion dollar valuation for their IPO, and that had actually ticked up a bit. But that's lower than their most recent private market valuation of 1.9 billion dollars. So, some signs that the bankers and/or the company were maybe a little bit more bearish, or something had happened there where they had to lower the valuation as they were they were preparing for the IPO. And here comes Cisco snapping them up for. A hefty sum, but I, I think uh, taking a higher level view of this, Cisco is looking to transition more to to software away from uh, hardware, you know, stuff like networking hardware, because they they are facing more competition on uh, the hardware space, and and let's face it, the, the world is moving towards software. So, Cisco is still very much a cash cow. Business, uh, they're producing over twelve billion dollars in free cash flow every year. They have thirty-six billion dollars in net cash. Thirty-six billion dollars, so they're not lacking for cash. So this acquisition, uh, you know, isn't going to break the bank for them, and and they they hope that this will uh, just build out that software portfolio. So as they work with their clients, this is one more uh, you know product offering they they can offer. So kind of a complimentary thing. What. AppDynamics does. They they develop software to help businesses monitor their their apps and websites. So helping businesses on the back end, which is what Cisco does in a lot of different ways. So Cisco's hope right now is that uh, they don't get disrupted, that they can continue to to innovate. And the company has been making more acquisitions, so this kind of fits into that strategy. Jason, back in the day, Cisco used to be called the backbone of the internet. How should sure. investors think of Cisco today? Yeah, I remember it very well. I mean, back in I, I sheesh, what was it? 1997, 98, and I was just getting started out in the golf business. And I remember an Edward Jones guy telling me that Cisco, I, I had to own Cisco. It needed to be a part of my portfolio. And shares are, you know, something like 130, 140 dollars at the time. And I'm, I'm not even sure what it would have been split adjusted. But the bottom line is, I mean, the stock fell off a cliff uh, not too terribly long after that. Thankfully, I only owned a handful of shares. But um, in hindsight, great lesson learned. Number one, I was going on his advice and not really able to account for a decision that I had ultimately made with my own money. Um, but I think also, number two, when you listen to what David said, I think he made a very good point there in. Thank you. These businesses, <laughs> <laughs> these businesses that need their, their legacy businesses with names that we remember for whatever reason. Uh, but particularly in the hardware side of things, I mean, hardware is ultimately 
a race to the bottom. It just becomes commoditized after a while. And so then it's really about what can you make that hardware do. And, and that's where software comes into play. And software can be really compelling for investors. The tricky part there is very competitive. And it's also very quick to iterate and change. So finding those big software wins, it's really difficult to do. Uh, it, it just doesn't, it's, it's not easy. I, I don't think that just because this is Cisco that you have to assume uh, success. Nor would you just assume failure. I think any time you make an acquisition, it's pretty difficult. I think in Cisco's case, they're trying to change, evolve a little bit, um, and they just need to make sure if they're going to do that, that they have the right leadership in place that can actually think forward enough uh, to build this business for the 21st century. Since we're taking a trip down memory lane here with the Dow, when you pull up a long-term chart of Cisco, it is pretty astonishing. So at the peak of the tech bubble. We're talking early 2000. The stock price was over $75 a share, and today it's you know 30 30 bucks a share. So still, you know, less than half of what it was at, at the peak. So yeah, big relevant company that's yep. still you know at, at its. There's a price for everything, right? I mean, it, price really does matter, and and I think we out, and it's always worth remembering. And guys, let's talk about the backbone of the spice rack. <laughs> oh yeah, McCormick reporting earnings um, before the market opened on Wednesday. Um, earnings come in line with expectations, David, but some concerns over the revenue. Now, it's interesting here because a lot of us, I think, know McCormick Spices. We have McCormick Spices, but we may not know that this stock has been a real winner over the long term. Yeah, slow and steady business. And, and what's interesting here is McCormick has really all different uh, segments of the market cornered. So, whether you're a consumer going to, to the spice rack in the store, whether you're buying a McCormick brand or a private label brand, there's a good chance McCormick is behind either one of those. Then, if you're going out to eat, I mean, McCormick uh, services uh, each of the top 10 food service and restaurant chains. So, whether you're talking McDonald's or, or Starbucks, and then uh, they also provide a lot of spices to, to Pepsi. So, McCormick has its hands in really all these different segments of the market, and, and the company just continues to, to innovate with those spices, makes a lot of diff- different acquisitions. One of their latest ones was an Italian flavor manufacturer, and we're talking about flavors for, for beverages, sweet goods, savory goods, dairy flavors. So, we're not just talking about salt and pepper here. We're talking about a lot of different things, sweet and savory, all across the board. Yeah, I think McCormick is one of those just sort of obvious in your face investments that probably flies under most people's radars. I mean, they wouldn't even really give it a thought. Um, and I mean, I think everything David said there makes a lot of sense, particularly in the innovate, the word innovate. When you wouldn't think about like yeah. with McCormick or something, it's food, right? I mean, how do you right. really innovate? It just, I, I hearken back to the field trip we took several years ago up to, to McCormick's HQ up in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Where we saw everything, they gave us a tour of of all of the facility production, everything like that, and it it, it had sort of the feel of in the James Bond movies when you go in and you meet Q and he's showing you all of these little <laughs> secrets they're working on. So that, that was the hat that, that takes was, off someone's yeah, head. That was the vibe. I mean, it was yeah. these new spices and ideas. I mean, he's talking about like supplying spices and flavorings for all of these different food uh, establishments, restaurants, and whatnot, and they're telling us about like. What they were doing for KFC, but they wouldn't admit it was KFC. So they said something like, you know, 11 herbs and spices. We're not going to tell you the name, but I mean, this is a business that has its hands in virtually every part of Flavortown out there. And I think it's going to be really hard to disrupt because they've built this brand on quality that people trust. And just as an anecdote, there, I was in the grocery store yesterday with my daughter. We were picking up some stuff for dinner and I needed some garlic powder and some, some dry mustard. And so, you know, I'm taking her around the grocery store, teaching her how to find everything she wants to find. 
and there's the spice aisle, and we stand in front of this big spice aisle, and I'm like, Ainsley, look at that right there. There's an investment right there. And she's like, what do you mean? And I say, hey, it's McCormick. That's a company you could buy that stock today. It's an awesome business. It's not going to be something that is some big major multi-bagger. I mean, the three-year growth rates, you look on the sales side, a little bit better than 2%, but they're really good at bringing that down to the bottom line. Earnings group better than 8%. And consequently, the stock has just been a phenomenal winner over time. I don't know why that stops. And when you look at Euromonitor International Projections, they see 5% compound annual growth rate in the global retail sales of herbs and spices uh, through 2021. So, there is reason um, for investor optimism still with this with this company. It just the stock never looks cheap. It's always kind of hard to bite the bullet. It never does. Right now, it's trading at about 25 times earnings. And a few months ago, it was up around 30 times earnings. And yeah. for a company that has a long-term uh, growth rate for earnings per share of about between 9 to 11%, you know that that's a lofty multiple, but this is a, a quality, consistent business. Uh, not not a very disruptable business uh, with with the brand and quality strength that they have that that Jason mentioned, and they've also increased their dividend every year for the past twenty five years. Uh, so, just an old reliable company here. Yeah, the multiple tells you how much the market really likes this business and. Tells you a lot about how they're viewing the next sort of three to five years of this business. And do you have a favorite spice? <laughs> Man, Mac, my spice, my spice rack is so full. Um, you got to pick one. Boy, dang, oh boy! Dang. I mean, I, I, garlic powder is probably the spice nice. I use most often. Simple but but good. Yeah, there's just so many good things. I mean, golly, you're, you're just putting me in a bind here. I'm, I mean, I think I'm going sea salt. I think sea salt, sea salt. I, and I think Himalayan sea salt is underrated. Oh, I haven't tried that. No, it's uh. Fancy. I don't know what what's exactly different, but okay, yeah, yeah. worth a shot. Always, yeah. always good for some red pepper flakes. I think that can add a zip to anything. Yeah, as long as I can get it at Costco, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's open up the full mailbag. Um, on a recent market foolery, we talked about Chuck E. Cheese gearing up for its IPO, and that prompted this email from listener Julian Essid. Um, Julian writes: The Chuck E. Cheese IPO was discussed, but nothing related to Apollo's IPO of Presidio. Thoughts: Is Presidio worth the buy? Is Apollo, Jason? Yeah, I. I mean, I dug into this a little bit because Presidio is going to be a spinoff from Apollo here soon. It looks like, and basically, um, in, in trying to figure out whether it's a worthwhile IPO, you want to know what the business does, and then why in the world you would want to invest in it. What's the competitive advantage there that makes this an attractive story? Um, and there are also some little things you want to find out from the IPO itself. What are they going to do with the money from the IPO and stuff like that? So. Presidio is an information technology services firm, and that just is very sort of. I'm sorry, I dozed off there. Exactly, for a it's a very bland <laughs> description, right? I mean, it could be they could do anything. I mean, they they could do anything, and, and and I think that's the question: is trying to identify particularly what they do, and, and and if they really do it well, is that a business worth owning? But then again, what's the use of the proceeds? In in pulling it straight from the S one there, the, the the filing that they filed with the SEC. Uh, that talks about the IPO itself. They're going to use the proceeds from the offering to repay uh, debt, and so normally a company is going to go public, and you like to see that money going towards growing the business. In this case, it's going to be a business where the proceeds are going to use they're going to be used to pay off a good amount of the debt that Presidio uh, is going to have on its balance sheet. I personally would rather see a situation where they're able to take that money and use it to grow. Um, I also think when you talk about information technology services firms, I mean, they're, they're a dime a dozen. It seems like there are a lot out there. Uh, bigger players in the space like Cognizant that seem to be kind of really good at what they do. Uh, so Presidio is not one that really uh, stands out for me. 
And is there an IPO that stands out for you um, for you guys this year? Because we have some big names um, that could go public. We've got um, Snap, which is the parent company of Snapchat. We've got Dropbox, just to name a few. David, any IPOs that excite you? Uh, a, a boring answer, but uh, Snap is one that I'm, I'm really curious to, to learn more about. Uh, I, I think the, the company does have a very promising position uh, when you're looking at the social media space and especially the the digital or, or mobile space. 67% or so of Snapchat users are between the ages of 18 and 35. That's a goldmine for, for marketers, especially as they're looking to transition marketing from traditional TV to more digital and mobile channels. So I think that, that could uh, really play to, to Snapchat's advantage. And right now, the, the number of video views per day on the platform is at 10 billion per day. So that's, that rivals you know, Facebook, YouTube, and, and other platforms like that. So certainly some questions there about what the financials actually look like. Are they making money? when? If ever, will they be at a point where they can make money? But I think there's a good reason why Facebook and Google and a lot of big players were interested in acquiring Snapchat a couple years ago. And I think the company's competitive position um, has been promising and growing. So that, that's what I'm curious to learn more about. Jason? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Snap is probably the most compelling one just from the sense that it has the biggest obvious market opportunity. Um, a lot of questions as far as like how sustainable that one app is. I'm not necessarily sold on their move to becoming a camera company. I mean, Spectacles, I, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be that as it may, um, it's it's one that I am definitely going to pay attention to. It's also one where I would encourage investors to um, not feel like you have to jump in this thing from the very start. I'm 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 going to give it certainly a few quarters just to learn how they run this business and really what the focus is. And I think that's a, that's a good way to approach IPOs in general. You don't need to jump in right out of the gate. I, I like to see, especially if a company has a lot of insider ownership, wait a couple quarters uh, and see if those insiders are selling off a lot once the lockup period expires after six months. If they are staying on board, then then I'm much more interested in the company. Worked for Facebook, right? For Facebook, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, guys, before we discuss our final story, I want to say a quick word about Sure Payroll. If you're a small business owner, or you Steve know Broido. payroll can be a headache. Steve Broido is a Sure Payroll user. We'll get to that. And small businesses pay hefty fines every year due to payroll oversights. Now you can protect your business and remove the payroll tax complications with Sure Payroll. It's simple and can be used on any device with just three easy steps. First, enter your employees' hours and salaries. Second, preview the taxes being deducted. And third, approve the payroll, and you're done. Voila, that's it. Sure Payroll will automatically file and pay your federal, state, and local taxes. They make it easy and affordable to manage your small business payroll online, and that way you can focus on your business instead of worrying about things like late fees and fines. Customers include dental offices, insurance agents, restaurants, barbershops, charitable foundations, tech startups, and... The man behind the glass himself. That's true. Steve Broido uses Sure Payroll. And Sure Payroll has an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Just go to surepayroll.com slash fool and fill out a free quote form. That's surepayroll.com slash fool. Guys, for our final story, we are heading to the Golden Arches. I love this story. To celebrate the release of two new versions of the Big Mac, McDonald's is giving away 10 thousand bottles of Big Mac sauce. It's the first time McDonald's has ever done anything like is that, this. Is that named after you, Mac? Um, it's not. I'd like to take credit for that. It, it is the same spelling, you know, M-A-C. But yes, I cannot take credit for that. So, McDonald's has never given the sauce away. It'll be a first-come, first-serve sort of operation here. Um, Jason, there's already talk about these Big Mac sauce bottles being collectibles. 
at least that's what we were talking about this morning. Sure. So I'm, I'm saying there's already it. talk. <laughs> um, and my question is, over the next 10 years, what has more upside, a share of McDonald's stock or a bottle of McDonald's Big Mac sauce? I mean, I think it's plainly the sauce. I mean, for a couple really? of things. Yeah, absolutely. Come on! Interestingly <laughs> enough, I was reading, they are going to produce a the, the number 10,001 which is going to be that one over the ten thousand? They're going to raffle that one off or auction it off, and that's the special. That's the most special bottle, right there, because you're really only supposed to have ten thousand, but there's oh, that okay. one extra. That's the goal. They're going to auction it off, and the proceeds are going to go to Ronald McDonald House. But um, we're not the only ones talking about this. I mean, I was listening to the Stern Show this morning, and Jason Kaplan just got one of these bottles and was deliberating: Do I use the sauce or you do abs- I keep the bottle? No, you absolutely use it. I you, mean, Big Mac sauce you is awesome. You keep the bottle. Listen, first and foremost, you the can ma- still keep the bottle. But the I'm cost basis the, is I'm zero. Like, I'm drinking the sauce right Once out of the you bottle. Crack that thing open. <laughs> all is lost. Your cost basis is zero on this thing. All you have to do is just hang on to ten years, twenty no, years. That maybe, bottle maybe is going to be worthless. <laughs> the thing is, it's going to be rotten. It's going to be rotten, and everyone's. Collecting everything now, and when everyone collects everything, everything is worth nothing. So I'm 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 a skeptic. But there's only ten thousand. And the bottles. stock, the stock, you know, the stock's done. The well, stock is done okay. It has not rewarded shareholders. Uh, and honestly, I think that for for its shortcomings of the last five years, I think the next five years are even more difficult for McDonald's. Okay. Uh, all day breakfast or not. I say you keep that bottle. You don't open it, and in ten years, you check on eBay or Amazon or whatever. It's going to make you some money, David. What do you think? I'll go with the the share of stock. for For one thing, I'm among the eighty percent. I'm among the eighty percent of millennials who have never had a Big Mac. Is so, that right? So I didn't know what I'm missing here, but I'll, I'll, they're good. Much. I'm not missing. No, oh, I disagree. Of, uh, no, I think they're pretty no. solid. You're missing a bad feeling at the end of the day See. when you finish that thing off. You're like, oh, I just feel so dirty. Hey, I'm not seeing. I'm not saying eat there every day, but you know, it's like I have an angel and devil on my shoulder here. Yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, give it a shot. So, so anyway, I th- I think I'll go with. The, the, the share of stock, and then over the next 10 years, use those dividends and buy some McCormick spices and come up with something on my own there. Yeah, yeah that just tops it all right there. Like Why not? That's good. State. Maybe you can afford a few of those bottles that have been unopened. <laughs> hey, if McDonald's does well in the next 10 years, I'll buy some of the bottles myself. There you go. Okay, guys. Jason, David, thanks for joining me today. Thank thanks, Matt. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow. Did you know last week you like got the date totally wrong? Is that true? It is true. <laughs> you were like, it's Thursday, January 12th. Nope, it was the 19th. <laughs> is today, today is the 25th, today right? Today is indeed the 25th. God. Oh, so That's sorry. what my laptop says. <laughs> In my watch. <laughs>